Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. So Be There in Five is typically a solo monologue style podcast, but I love to change it up and have bonus interviews uh, where I get to talk to people who are incredibly talented. And I love, love, love talking to other podcasters, especially ones that... Uh, have such an overlap with my interests. And Kate Casey from Reality Life with Kate Casey has an incredibly popular uh, podcast. It's about reality shows of past and present, docuseries, documentaries, where she provides her own analyses uh, of different shows, but also finds like the best insiders to give you kind of the scoop about what went on behind the scenes or from directors, from past cast members. And I love that she's this really brilliant mix of uh, nostalgic throwbacks and really current shows that she reports in real time to like kind of, you know, keep you up to speed, like as you're binge watching something. And she also has a really interesting model where she has people review that are like subject matter experts and that were insiders on the show, but also are everyday people that are just watchers and bystanders. So you have both the expert and the non-expert which i just think is a really cool dynamic for a show and i've always really enjoyed the stuff she covers and in this instance she so i originally was just going to have her on to talk about the valve then i was like i can't not talk about like reality shows the future of bravo a whole a lot of other things so we ended up having a more well-rounded discussion that does center on the vow at one point but we also talk about other stuff and also we recorded this before i had finished the show and then when i finished the show I realized a lot of the stuff I wanted to talk about with the show was like missing. So then I did a separate episode where like I deep dive in my normal style into uh, cults to self-help to MLMs to kind of like the intersection with religion because it's kind of a weird overlap of something I deep dive into quite often actually, which are kind of oppressive, restrictive organizations and my feelings toward them. And I was kind of in a search for the implications of, of NLP of... Um, of mind control of the psychological implications and the psychological methodologies rather that got people sucked into this really uh innocuous seeming at first but ultimately highly criminal organization that just objectively you're like how on earth would anybody ever agree to any of this but obviously there's more to it that we got to learn from so anyway if you're really into the vow nexium the alleged celebrity sex call that only has one celebrity that it was famous in 2001 nelson mack <laughs> uh, listen to that other episode where i kind of go more in depth in the psychological aspects and then kate and i talk a little bit more high level about the show uh before i had finished it and when i was like very new to it but it's all in all a fun conversation i love getting her input i could talk to her forever and uh, i didn't want to cut down her episode so i figured i'd just give you a little bit of a bonus so you guys are awesome thanks for tuning in if you're new here follow me on instagram at be there in five leave a five stars share with a friend i would love it so much and thank you for allowing me to kind of deep dive into the singular topic this week when it's very outside of my wheelhouse and i normally don't get into crime of any sort whatsoever but I do deep dives on Mormon mommy bloggers. Um, my favorite episodes recently about like more feminist adjacent topics are uh, called Fingertip Lengthy. Uh, per my last email, it's the berry picking for me. Uh, I did two uh, episodes the past couple weeks where I very vulnerably dive into uh, my confusion about becoming a mother. And I think all the things that millennial ch millennials without children aren't really allowed to say about how mom life culture on Instagram makes them incredibly nervous and, and feel daunted about what they're incurring uh, when people make it seem like, you know, showering is self-care. It, it seems very overwhelming to me when I see so many depictions of mother on social media. And it's a hard episode to record, but I'm grateful to those of you that have liked it and have shared it. And anyway, I just would love it if you checked out some other stuff if you're new here. Uh, but anyways, thanks so much. I hope you enjoy the episode. This will be ad-free except for the Black-owned businesses that I will feature later. And I will catch you on the flip side. 
All right, guys, I'm so excited. I, I often tell you that I, I don't recap shows here because there are other shows that do it so well, even though I do watch a lot of TV. And Kate Casey <laughs> is one of these people that does it impeccably. She's a podcast host of the show Reality Life with Kate Casey. And she talks about everything you're watching and interviews characters, directors, and insiders that kind of kind of give you the context you're craving after a binge watch where you just kind of obsessively research the show you just watched for several days. But what I love about Kate is like from true you know, crime series like American Murder, all the way to like real world New Orleans characters. She doesn't just discriminate with reality shows in terms of their depth or topic or darkness. And I've been a big fan of her show for a while. Um, and she's also a former crisis PR professional and mother of five, which are two things in general I just find fascinating. But I'm excited <laughs> to have her on. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. Oh, I love you, Kate. You're so smart. And I just love you. Thank you. Uh, so I've been on your podcast a couple of times. I, I've talked about uh, Miss Americana the doc Taylor Swift documentary. And then last week we talked about American murder. I actually am curious just in general, how did you get started on your podcast? So I did crisis PR for law firms for a long time. And then I wanted to also pursue comedy. So I took improv comedy classes that led me to writing, uh, comedic stuff. And that led me into doing TV recaps that led me into being a guest on a podcast. And that made me think I could do something like this. So that was four years ago. And so I pitched this idea to a network of tracking down people that had been on reality shows years ago to find out how it changed the trajectory of their life. And from there, um, I, I would do, so each, the whole time that I've had my show, each episode is structured like a talk show. So there are segments. So at the front end, it would be an interview with somebody who had been on a reality show or somebody who creates reality shows. And then at the second segment would be somebody would review a show with me. And then over time in the last four years, I've added into that docu-series and documentaries. So we're really under the unscripted umbrella. So one week it could be somebody from West Virginia who's an orthopedic surgeon reviewing a reality show, but then on the front end, it might be somebody who was the director of a documentary that's like number one on Netflix. So I kind of feel like I've got my finger on the pulse of what people are watching in Unscripted. And as you know, I think a lot less people are watching shows like Real Housewives, and they're more interested in docu-series and documentaries that are on streaming media and American murder is an example of this. It actually had been number one on Netflix for a few days. So to be in that top 10 on Netflix is pretty great because you like the tiger King one, I think 68 million people watch that. So you compare that to <laughs> like only a half a million people watched real housewives of Potomac on Monday or on Sunday night. And you know, it's hard to get people to watch that show every single Sunday Sunday. So for 68 million people to watch something is pretty incredible. It's unheard of. And, and Tiger King is one of those sensations that I, to me just had very low longevity. Like after I watched it, I, I could barely finish it, but then I was done, done, done. But it like permeated culturally for weeks to the point where we now still have to, you know, see Carol Baskin. Well, did she get kicked Ugh. off dancing? I don't even know. She did. And you know what the worst part was? She'd finish her dance and the judges would go, you killed it. I'm like, ah. Uh. And then her family or her ex-in-laws, they did an ad. They paid for an ad. Can't even imagine how much that cost to say, we are looking for information relating to the disappearance of our father, who was her ex-husband, who she probably killed. So 
uh, the, I, I guess this is just the the connect, the intersection of streaming media and mainstream media are like overlapping and it's just it's totally wacky. Well, there is this thing that happens when like the cool internet thinks something's funny and talks about it for a little while. Uh, brands and major media corporations hear about it like months later and then try to capitalize on it, but oh, they're so too. True. It's so cringy. And like even the mac and cheese ad that just came out, like send nudes. I'm like, this isn't fun. Like, this is just stupid. Mm-hmm. I hate to ring our own bell, but listen, I feel like you and I are a little bit ahead of the curve. We always pick up on stuff. You always pick up on Instagram influencer trends. And I'm always like, uh, I always feel like I know what people are going to be into as far as TV. So um, there you go, ABC, NBC, CBS. We're kicking your asses. <laughs> We're doing our best. <laughs> it's well, and like, do you have? It, do you kind of just follow your natural inf- interest for the criteria you use to decide what shows you cover? Yeah, I just feel like I know us all. I mean, we. I think yeah. if somebody watches reality shows, they tend to like documentaries. If they like documentaries, they like true crime. It's all the same kind of person. And the great thing about the quarantine is that people have had more time. And so I think it's opened up people's eyes to different kinds of unscripted TV. So I do think um, people are more shifting to streaming media. They love docu-series. They like to sink their teeth into something. They have less patience to watch an episode once a week over a two and a half month period. They want to obsess over things. They want to be Googling information as they watch, and then they want to move on. And so I think that the old, you know, bravo kind of structure which is like one episode a week is really dying out and it's great because i like to obsess about things and then i like to move on and i feel like that's what everybody else is doing too so um i i don't know i just i I think that people are hungry also for content that's really profound compelling we like to be thinkers and I think we're less interested in vapid shows that don't really get to the heart of issues that are important in our world. Like we want to see shows about crime and sex and mental health and race and all these things. They're not interested in, does this woman have fake uh, hair extension or hair extensions and fake tits and wear Louboutins? Like I feel like those days are over. Yes, absolutely. It's like there was a broader cultural shift, I feel like, from, you know, aspiration went out of style. Relatability became the currency. And then you kind of layer, like, kind of the next level under. It's like we don't – aspiration's over. We want people to be, like, relatable and have depth. Or it's almost like – I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right – the schadenfreude of it all, like the fire Uh festival. Like, you know, other people's misfortunes are are perhaps more entertaining things we don't aspire to. And it's been interesting because, yeah, the the I mean, you live in Orange County, like starting in 2005 with like Laguna Beach, you know, Real Houses of OC, then The Hills, the actual OC, the scripted show. I feel like there was this Southern California trend that started like this aspirational television, The Fabulous Life Of. It was Paris Hilton. It was Lindsay Lohan. Like, I feel like that was an interesting tabloid era that launched into a solid decade where we just wanted to see people living fabulously. Mm-hmm. But then it, like overnight it became tone, tone deaf. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I think that we see that on Instagram. I think less people are interested in accounts where it's just like a coffee table with like a vase and one flower. <laughs> like yeah, what? Yeah. There was this generation or generation, there was a group of people who became Instagram influencers, like quite powerful. And I found 
found it infuriating that they would do seminars about how to get internet traction or Instagram traction. And you'd find out they were like former wedding photographers. And so they hit it at the right time and they were teaching people how to take pictures of like something on your bookshelf and that you're going to get all these Instagram followers out of that. And then that kind of crashed because people are hungry for more than that. I think that people are less interested in imagery. They want to hear the grit behind a story. So that's why I think you see shifts in what the what people look for and follow on Instagram is the same thing as what people look for when they're watching television shows. I absolutely agree. I think they mirror one another. And I, I often ask myself, and I don't really have the answer, but uh, uh, you and I are both staunch supporters of Bravo, always have been, but I find myself disengaging at times. And while I'm thrilled for Salt Lake City, Otherwise, I kind of am wondering, like, what needs what needs to fundamentally shift with that kind of format to keep people hanging on? Because even the the franchises I'm so loyal to, like New York, that I'll love forever. It's like you're too famous, too rich, and too out of touch, and this is just not interesting anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I like. What do you think? Like shows like Housewives or Vanderpump Rules or whatever you want to call it could like. Do you think they'll just Uh, new shows will evolve or do you think they'll have to change how they approach them? I'm not really sure. I think they're kind of fading out. I think people are hungry for it. And I think what I've heard is the Bravo internally is probably going to do a rebranding and they should because people's interests are just changing. I think that you saw the beginning of that when TLC became huge with 90 day fiance because it was everything that the housewives was not. It was like attainable for the masses. Like, People who were lived around the poverty line, who did not have perfectly sculpted bodies. I think people were rejecting watching shows for years of women who had filtered faces and filtered bodies. And they were hungry for real people, but they went so over the top with the real people that they became less like people of just like plucked from obscurity with interesting stories that they went like super trashy. So now people are rejecting that and we're kind of going back to the middle. In between Housewives Perfection and TLC's 90 Day Fiance, I've watched this show for seven seasons and I want to get on TV kind of ilk. So it's like somewhere in the middle now where we're, I think we're going to really start to see some really great, great stuff. Great storytelling, more relatable, true grit. Uh, and I'm excited for it. That brings me to one of the things I wanted to talk to you about briefly, because like people have asked me to do an episode about it, but like it's almost too, there's too many characters involved. And I, I laughed because I'm 99% sure it was on your show where you were interviewing the 90 Day Fiance creator and he likened it to the Marvel Universe of characters he was kind of of taking on and I was like that's a kind of a weird way to put it because I don't know if I you know these people are kind of the anti-hero but beyond that yeah like there's such there's so many people and spinoffs and subplots and like it becomes hard to keep track and I always tell people who haven't seen it before like I think all you really need is to get on board is season one episode one of 90 day before the 90 days were all takes yeah. planes, trains, canoes mm-hmm. to the Amazon with a lock of his mother's hair. That is, um, that's that perfect. Is, that's true. And I'll, and I say 90 Day Fiance seasons two and three. That's when Mark was uh, engaged to the girl from the same Philippine town that his first wife was from. And his kids, who were the same age as the new wife, rejected her. And he was 
nuts and would make her alphabetize the bookshelf in the living room. Like those were the great people. The greatest story that came out of it was Yamir, who was from a, a boy band in uh, Honduras. I think it was Honduras. And he had met a girl named Chelsea who was on some sort of mission trip. And she convinced him to move to the United States to Indiana to live with her parents. And she was essentially the Yoko Ono of the boy band. And the manager had a, a conversation with him. It was like, you can't leave the band. And it's like, you guys live in a third world country. So those to me were great because those were people who had no idea what 90 day fiance was. And it was pretty interesting. Like this guy's going to leave behind. He's like the Brad Pitt of this country and he's going to leave it all behind. And those days are over because you have people that have been studying 90 Day Fiance in the same way it jumped the shark with the housewives where, you know, some of these housewives have been studying the show for a long time in the same way that the Bachelorette contestants, they say things now, God help us all. Like my mom and I used to watch every season of the Bachelorette and look at me now. So it's mm -hmm. when you have people that study a show for too long, it's so inauthentic and it's, that means it's, we're all just tired of it and we need a new show. So I, I think that you're going to see, a slew of new shows and new obsessions. And the funny part for me, which I kind of enjoy is the delusion that comes with the people that have become famous from these shows because they believe in their minds that they are true movie stars of the world. And they are going to have a really hard time coming off the high that comes from being famous. It's like a drug to them. And I like to circle back years later and to interview them. And some of them have some clarity. Some of them don't like, when Jersey Shore went off the air for a couple of years, Mike's the situation before he went to jail was like, I was an idiot. I was totally high in most of the scenes. Why did I have my brother do my taxes? I totally appreciate people that stop me and say, thank you. Um, the show brought me some enjoyment during a dark time. Um, so that's going to happen to a lot of these people. They're going to crash. They're going to, you know, crash for a couple of years. And then some of them will come back and go, I was a real idiot. I should have appreciated what I had. Um, but for some, mm -hmm. that will never happen. So I'm excited for new TV shows. Don't you get sick of like, oh, here we go, another season of The Bachelorette. Like, oh, let's reinvent the wheel. By the way, I just interviewed a Bachelorette today, this morning. And I felt like I learned absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> a former a Bachelorette? Like a yeah. former lead? Yeah, like years ago. And I'm, and I, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to get some really interesting introspective insight, but there's a publicist on the line and they told me I've had 20, 20 minutes. And so the clock is going down and you're asking these questions and the answers are always very long winded. And, you know, it's kind of like walking into a bar where you walk up to somebody you can't say, or you could, but you're not going to get that much of an answer. Like, um, so when you started dating Garrett off the show and you realized that he had said all of these remarks on his Instagram that were against everything that you say that you are politically and as a woman, didn't you have a moment where you thought to yourself, maybe I should end the engagement? I can't ask that because it's clear that she's not open to answering in such a open, you know, she's not open to answering that. And I have a publicist on the line who wants to stay on brand because they have a new show they're promoting and the clock is winding down. So it's hard. So I, that's why I like to go back to people like Danny Roberts, like you had mentioned from um, Real World New Orleans, because they've had a lot of time to think about it. And they say, I was not prepared to, you know, not be famous. And a lot of people have a hard time with it. And it causes mental health issues and blah, blah, blah. So it's just a not prepared thing. to no longer be like they eat. They almost had the delusion of their fame having sustainability. Yeah. What the real world people say is you come off the show and you're poor. 
you don't make any money. So people call you successful, but you have no money to your name and you're driving a car that the wheel, the brakes are going and you can't get other jobs in entertainment because they say, well, you're just Melissa from the real world. And so mm. you're, it's like you sign up for something and you think it's going to be this great thing and people are stopping you in the street and they're, they want to know all this information about you, but it's not, it's not really based on anything that you've done that's created success. So you're famous without the success. That's so interesting. Yeah. Cause the, I, I think that with this 90 day people too, I always wonder, like, it's just a, such a weird paradox to me. Like the real world people are one and done season wise. Like they could maybe go on real world road rules challenge if they're lucky, be a VJ. I don't know. It, it has, you know, kind of a cap on its lifespan. 90 day people are a funny paradox where they're them being on the show almost hinges on storyline has to do with not having money and like uh, kind of the lifestyle adjustment to another country or their partner to their country, not being able to afford to see them do the paperwork, whatever. But then they're simultaneously getting famous, getting like endorsements. And then they go back on the show kind of trying to do the same shtick, but their life is materially changed in ways they don't even recognize. And I'm shocked that like the, the TLCs of the world to, to somebody like me, I think it's so obvious that we're not interested in Darcy and Stacey. We're not interested in the family Chantel. They're diluting the franchise. But mm -hmm. that those like recurring celebs on these types of shows, I don't think need to happen. I think it always needs to be new people making the mistakes of their first season. Absolutely. I think maybe part of them thought this is going to be like the Real Housewives where we can keep them and, and then we're there. We're so invested in their stories. I'm not really invested in a storyline about somebody who keeps getting plastic surgery procedures every single episode. Like that girl um, that was married to Colt, um, Larissa, yeah. every episode is her going to get a new procedure. And you're like, she's getting this all free because it's in exchange for airtime. And that's depressing to me. So I, I feel like they're going to have to switch up that some way. It, I just, I think all the people in 90 Day Fiance are so horrible. And I, I have met a lot of them and they are horrible people. <laughs> You're like, I can confirm. <laughs> I, I can <laughs> confirm that. I, yes, they are horrible people. As much <laughs> as my husband doesn't like my reality shows, I 90 Day is one of the few ones I've really gotten him into. And I just laugh every time I think about the moment on TV when Lana actually showed up to meet David. My husband looked at me and was like, that was the maybe the best moment of reality television I've ever experienced. Cause we just thought she would, she was not real. Like we thought there was yeah. no way she was real. And that was like one of the more redeeming sh uh, seasonal arcs that's happened recently. But even 90 day, I've kind of like tuned out of a bit, which I'm bummed cause it was my favorite for so long. But then didn't we find out that David had used the show to promote some video business that he had created. So it was all fake. So I read on like Reddit that, Lana like it was kind of made up and the producers had to scramble to find Lana and then the storyline never made sense because they kind of like added her into it in retrospect with like random photos but like they didn't know each other when they actually met which that doesn't really make sense but also it makes no sense that in seven years he could only pay to speak to her and then all of a sudden she was willing to meet with him after you know four failed attempts I also don't like the way they make well, I mean, it's just whatever it is, but it makes us look like the dumbest Americans. Like, oh, I'm going to move to Jordan. And even though I like to do drugs and I'm a rapper, um, I'm going to fit in right, oh, right away. Like, it makes us look like we're idiots. Like, we don't do any research. We have no interest in the rest of the world. 
you know, we're not respectful of, respectful of different cultures. It's like, it, this is the worst time in the world to make, to make us look even worse than we already look. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. And, and I think it's so interesting to what you can glean from, especially, you know, I try to go easy on uh, the women that want to come to the States to meet the men, because I think it's easy to be like gold digger, blah, 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 or, you know, whatever trope you want to like get citizenship. But on the one hand, marriage doesn't mean the same in every culture. It's not always Mm -hmm. love based. uh, And you have to be open to that. But Beyond that, I almost want a consulting service where people <laughs> people can like call, contact me and I'll be like, let me tell you what like suburban Albuquerque is really like. It's not like Vegas. It's not like New York City. The perceptions of America being so exciting are fascinating because most of it is not. It's so true. By the way, in terms of consulting, you absolutely could have that job and they would take it up on, they would take you up on that. I feel like I've consulted many of the housewives, new ones, especially who call me before they start filming the show. And they always, oh, I ask them, what is your game plan? Why did you join the show? Like, what do you want to get out of it? And they always say, I just think it would be fun. And then I always tell them, this is not fun. This is going to no. destroy your life. <laughs> They're not your friends. They're coworkers. They don't want to be your friend. They don't care about you. No, 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 no. They seem really, f-. I'm like, no, 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 no. They're not your friends. And then they get screwed over. But I'm like, listen, I said what I said, and they didn't listen to me, and th- therefore, they're idiots. What would your prime piece of advice be for somebody who's going on a show like Housewives? Um, you need to have some sort of strategy. Like, what am I going to get out of it? Like, are you going to b- be promoting a charity? Or are you going to be promoting your business? You have to find a way to that you financially benefit from it because your relationships will suffer. You will uh, suffer a lot of mental health headaches because people will rip apart the way that you look and that way that your house is and the way you parent your children. Um, so you have to get something out of it. And you don't get a big salary you know, for the first three seasons. So you better be making money through the businesses that you're promoting. That said, now because of the Bethany Clause, if they go on Housewives, they're going to get a percentage of their business taken out. So you have to be really clever about the way that you do it. Um, I would think that the best kind of person for a job like that or or housewife is somebody who already has um, a lot of businesses of their own. So they have their own wealth, not connected to their husband, but their Mm -hmm. own, that they're already um, pretty financially set as an individual. Because I think that there's a, a dynamic to these marriages where a lot of the women, I feel like they cast women who didn't work before. So it's like all of a sudden they get an income, they get fame, they get they they need to film a lot, and the husbands who've been the breadwinner, who have been the center of this person's world, is suddenly second fiddle, and that is too hard for most of these marriages to withstand. So you have to have your own money and be independent from your spouse, um, and uh, I think that they have to be pretty irreverent. And that usually comes with an older age. I think it's harder for a woman who has very little kids, uh, hasn't been married that long to withstand the pressures that come with it. Because when you have little kids, you're too in the weeds of like, did they go to the right preschool? And, and um, like, am I in the right group of friends, etc. And that somebody who maybe has college aged kids 
is a little bit more irreverent and unwilling to give like put up with someone's shit when they kind of rip them apart for the job that they did parenting their child. They're like, well, they're already mm-hmm. raised, so fuck off. Um, it's just really hard to cast for that show. And I live in Orange County, and I am always asked, is this really the best that they have in Orange County? Like, <laughs> this one weekend, this girl, Megan, said, I, you know, I interviewed two years ago, and I didn't understand why they didn't take me. I said, well, first of all, you're probably, you were probably too young. Uh, but also you need to know somebody in the cast. So that's too, so you're too, you, you've got to be a certain age. You have to know somebody in the cast. You have to have some husband. That's a total cheese ball. You can't have a husband that like works for a financial service firm or, you know, works at a place of business where they can be associated with the housewife. So that leaves you to having a husband who's like, you probably like has a, like a family trust that he lives off of. Right, like your husband's right. not gonna be on the show. My husband's not gonna be on the show. So there you have that, and then you have to have somebody who is like unapologetic about their style and their wealth, like somebody who wants to brag about the things that they own or pretend to own. We don't know many people right. that are like that. Somebody who wants to go on a trip and wear a bikini. I don't know people like that. <laughs> I mean, women, I'm like, are they got a sarong on or something? Um, it's like all these series of things. It's really hard to find people. And then you have to get the buy-in from the spouse and from the kids and their friends that they can, that they're open to the idea of camera crews being in their home for four months. Um, and with very little financial benefit in the beginning. I mean, I think the the first season, most of them make like $25,000 or something. And so, yeah. And you factor in like one of my, the girls that I know who's on the show, she bought $150,000 worth or something of clothes just to oh make herself like look great the first season. And she's only making $25,000 a year. Like that's, then they spend all the money on the parties, right? So they spend right. like, thousands and thousands of dollars to make their kid's birthday party over the top. And by the way, they may not even include that in the filming. I went to one birthday party. People know who I'm talking about. I went to Bronwyn's birthday party uh, for her kid. And um, I showed up. At, they were filming it. You would have never seen me because I was in the background. It was circus themed. And I was wearing like an outfit that you would wear to like a yacht club or something. So I didn't fit in. And I was in the background. I was like, this is a shit show. She had spent so much money on that party. And then they never used it in the filming. So imagine if you're like, I have to look like, you know, like I'm this over the top person, great house, et cetera, et cetera. You spend all that money and they don't even use it. I'd be pretty pissed. And then also one last part of that is I don't think you can get a tax write off if it doesn't air on the show because somebody just told me about somebody on a Netflix show that has to do with real estate. I think you can figure out which one where (laughs) the woman had gone in for, uh, to get her, her, her eggs frozen or what is it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so de- brain dead. And um, they, since they didn't air the episode that they, they, that she couldn't get mon- like a tax write off for it. So she had to pay the full bill. Yeah. Cause I'm sure that, yeah, it's in the free, it being free is an exchange for promotion too. So if the promotion's mm-hmm. not there, taxes are not, they're going to probably make you pay. That sucks. Totally. I guess I never thought about like, you know, I look at my life and schedule and how few, types of events I attend that look like anything the housewives do. And then I'm like, well, no wonder in a non-major market on a Tuesday, you're having a fashion show in a ballroom. Like they're just Mm -hmm. making shit up to film there. Like that's just not normal stuff people do outside of like galas maybe. Um, But yeah, the, 
it's kind of a funny thing where even the real world that they craft has an element of manufactured fakeness to it, that it's just never going to be that real. Yeah, and like, how many of your friends are like, hey, Kate, listen, we're going to film our vow renewal in downtown Chicago on Wednesday at 1030 in the morning. You need to be over the top and dress and you have to be available for the six hours that we're filming. You cannot have access to your phone and you have to act like you give a shit about our vow renewal, even though we've been only been married three years. You'd be like, fuck off. We're not friends anymore. Sorry, loser. Um, so <laughs> right. it, takes, it takes a certain person to sign up for that. I think a lot of people see other women on those shows and they're like, that's what I aspire to be because they get to go to watch what happens live and they get to have this big Instagram following. But, you know, these women have hundreds of DMs every day. And, you know, for some of them, 75% of them is like, you're an awful mother. You need to get a facelift. Your husband's gay. You know, you're, you're a piece of shit. It's I'll, like, who wants that? I could never. I could never. Yeah, who wants that? Well, and I think it's one of those deeper things. I think we've kind of talked about this before where, you know, if you're pursuing something public facing, you need to ask yourself, am I am I sacrificing so many elements of myself, my family, my mental health to build somebody else's business mm -hmm. <laughs> to get very little pay and no equity? And when you're a part right. of a show or something, it can really pay off if, if you approach it right. But in many cases, you get famous for a short period of time, make the le least amount of money and get the worst persona out of it. And you're left with such very with very little. But if you build something yourself and have control over it, it's just like a safer <laughs> avenue. But people want that instant fast fame that I just I don't crave on any level. And then a lot of the housewives will say that they think because of the, the meme culture. So this is like more recent, you know, the meme accounts on Instagram for a lot of the reality shows do quite well. So they are the ones that are pushing this idea that you have to be extra to be a successful housewife. So they're finding themselves acting over the top to secure their job because the worst thing is to be told or to have memes saying that you're boring, right? So mm -hmm. they're not acting like themselves and they're do overdoing scenes because it's job security. So not only do you have all of those other headaches, it's like you have to you have to find out, you know, every eight months, like, do I still have a job? Do I still have a job? Like, did I do a great enough job? Well, what was a great enough job? Did you rip someone's hair out? Did you get in a fight? Did you leave your husband? Did you sleep with somebody? Did you commit fraud like what is it that that means that you had a successful season people who are like normal and just show up to work and have nice conversations are now deemed too boring and therefore <laughs> they don't have job security it's like bonkers so i think that there's a lot of people that go i can't deal with this show anymore that's such a good point. I never really thought about is the inverse relationship between what makes you a good and successful person versus a good and successful housewife. <laughs> like sometimes people, will, I just think because I live in Orange County and it's so small, like in the years past, people would say, well, why aren't you on that show? I'm like, well, first of all, I'm inside baseball. That would be like, I can't even come up with an, an analogy, but I mean, I interview people on these shows. Like, wouldn't it be so ridiculous if all of a sudden it was like me holding an orange? People are like, what? Like, huh? Like, that makes no sense whatsoever. But also, I'm not that interesting for to watch on television at a dinner party with five other people. Because if I'm at a dinner party, 
I'm going to tell you what I want to talk about. I want to talk about American murder. I want to talk about a wilderness of error. I want to talk about the unsolved mystery episode with the, with the French father who killed his whole family. That's what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about someone's husband who slept with, you know, the guy down the table. I don't care. I know that's the other thing is in life. I just don't really care what anyone else is doing that much. Like <laughs> it's just not consuming for me whatsoever. And when that's all the plot line and it gets to a point too, where, you know, you bring up the, okay, on a weird day, you have to get all dressed up at 10 AM for six hours without your phone, blah, blah, blah. And you add on to that, your cast member getting paid triple, you know, oh, your rate yeah. and they don't have to show up. And like, oh, you're yeah. Yep. low-key rates that they're not allowed to break the fourth wall to explain so then we're just kind of like what's why are you so mm -hmm. mad about that innocuous thing but it's not about what it's about and yep i'm with you i just think it's old old news and i but i will say i'm very excited for salt lake because i think that that opens up an interesting new market which kind of bridges me into our the other piece of our conversation today which is my well in general i'm obsessed with religion uh religions that teeter on culty I am obsessed with like organizations that manage to control people, even though they offer them very little and can promise them hardly nothing that happens in this life. Um, I just think it's, it's interesting and dangerous uh, when you really think about kind of, I guess there are elements, I think in a lot of different spaces from like modern self-help gurus, like a Tony Robbins to church to this Nexium situation where it's like, you don't really realize that people are all using very similar language to control you in ways you're not even realizing you're being controlled and people lose their agency so fast. And I'm very fascinated by that process, which um, leads, leads me to the vow. So Kate actually did two episodes on the vow on reality life with Kate Casey that you should absolutely listen to. Uh, but basically it's about this cult slash multi-level marketing scheme, essentially uh, Nexium, which use kind of promises of self-help in a tiered system of like faux enlightenment to hide what I gather was mainly a sex trafficking ring for its leaders. And um, Kate had Frank Parlato of the Frank Report on her podcast, and then also Rick Ross, who's a subject matter expert on cults. And honestly, before I watched the vow, all I really knew was like the sex cult. It's kind of the tagline, but but watching this, I'm like, this isn't really a sex cult. <laughs> that was my well, first observation. <laughs> well, they so that was this the strategy of the um, of the Justice Department was to get that to get Keith on sex trafficking charges. That's where they thought the case was strong enough. So that that's why you probably oh. see the biggest piece of that because the um, the wiretapping and the financial fraud is is quite big, but they felt like the case was stronger. For the sex trafficking. Um, and I also think for TV purposes, it's more salacious and it's spellbinding to, you can understand why people get roped into things um, and when it's like financial fraud, because you, mm -hmm. you know, people are kind of like, they're panicking because they don't have enough money in their bank account. Like you can kind of get that. But I think uh, what's harder to wrap people's heads around is like, why would someone agree to be in a slave master situation answering a text message in the middle of the night and then find themselves branded with someone's initials. So I think that that's what makes this case so interesting. Now, I just also interviewed Frank this morning. So we have a second part and I answered some, we did a, like a round of questions. One of the interesting things that he just told me that I thought you would be interested in is there was this male group. The last episode really focused on, which was yesterday focused on, um, 
the language that Keith had and how he was vehemently anti-woman. And so he had this group called the Society of Protectors, which is a misnomer, mm -hmm. um, of these men who had these seminars and they got each other kind of jacked up with this idea that women have this princess uh, idea and they want us and they're just really screwing with their heads because they use sex to control us. So we have to control them back. So he just told me that there, I asked, well, some of these men keep saying in interviews that they, they consider themselves to be more sensitive than, than other men. Is he intimating that they were gay? And he said, no, they were, he was predatory. So he targeted weak men who had misogynistic tendencies, but were, were, were weak. And he had convinced them because they apparently all those men, all of those men knew that Keith had a harem of women. He had convinced those men that they could also have their own harems. Mm. I'm like, that's some screwed up shit right there. Like what? And they were all these like goofy looking loser guys. Uh, but you see that it was totally possible because the women that were in this organization were starving themselves and they were existing on little sleep. They had been taking so many courses that they had let go of their regular jobs and they were basically making a living, living as somebody who recruited new members. They would get like a commission off of it. So they were completely reliant on the group, their community, because they had really let go of all the other people that were not members of the group, like many cults do. So they're financially and emotionally reliant on this group. They're malnourished, the women. Um, they have been systematically brainwashed to believe that they could not trust other women, that they needed to be subservient to men. And so I think that the, the series has done a good job over up to eight episodes. They have one more now of showing how it's a slow burn. So those of us who are thinking people go, how in the hell could you believe that this man says he's the smartest man in the world and that they can relieve all your problems, much like people who are in Scientology, but then you meet these people and they've left the group and they seem seemingly normal and thoughtful and compassionate. And you see that it was this long process that was systematic, but slow and steady. And it's just so sad. Um, and I'm glad that this series came out because I'm hoping that the people that are still existing within Nexium are leaving. And he was telling me today that the people that are still in the organization, this is the crack up, they're in Brooklyn because he's in the jail there until he gets sentenced. And they're thinking that the, the government might put him in this maximum prism and prism prison, excuse me, in Colorado where they'll put him in uh, um, isolation for maybe up to eight years. Um, but right now in the prison that he's in Brooklyn, that the people that are still in the group, they go there every day and they dance outside so he can see them dancing. And that the woman who was responsible for doing the branding, her name is Danielle. She even went last night and she was doing headstands outside for him and like, like opening what? her legs for him. Yeah. And the woman, uh, Nikki Klein, who married Allison Mack, they're still legally married. She is really running the group right now in Brooklyn and they keep changing the name. So it's like, oh gosh, he went through the list of names. And I said, I, I said, forgive me, Frank, but these are the dumbest names I've ever heard in my life. It's Isn't like, that like when we do something. It was like, <laughs> we are as one. And then there's like this other name. And they went on CBS this morning and they tried to do like a PR thing. And the woman that was next, there was like four men and two women. There was Nikki. And then there was a woman that was next to her, a black woman. She, um, did she have short hair? 
Yeah, I think she had short hair. She's actually the woman that they reenacted scenes in the in episode, I believe it was five, where they were explaining the slave master process. And she was the one that had convinced the woman that came forward to be a part of DOS. And there she is on CBS this morning. She's trying to explain uh, the branding. And Nikki is looking at her at like, shut up. And then she takes over to explain what the point of the, like the branding is not that big of a deal. And it was just an uncomfortable TV moment. And Frank said, that's because there still exists DOS. They're still doing readiness drills. Wow. They're still doing the starvation, in, even though this guy is in jail, but Nikki is running the show. It's, it's, I mean, it is just, it's crazy. It's so weird. It's so weird. And like, it, it it's, I kind of, it's, it's like, I feel two ways about the way the vow is structured, because on the one hand, it does take a little time to get to like the crazier WTF salacious moments. But in showing that slow burn, you realize that like the sex cult label was kind of reductive in a sense that it doesn't capture that that suggests like, oh, these people are lunatics. You're not a lunatic. So let's kind of gawk at the crazy decisions these people made. But when you show that slow burn, it kind of shows the series of, of, of psychological traps that manipulators mm-hmm. use to prey on vulnerable people and how it's not obvious because when you're you're uh, employing tactics like NLP, um, like what is that, neurolinguistic programming, yeah. uh, the entire point is like you're almost you're you're making your victims look in the mirror, pointing out their flaws, making like tearing them down, but then also building yourself up so you're the only one that can solve them. They become dependent on you and there's like a series of like psychological and and physical cues people will use to essentially be brainwashing you. And you hear people say things like, I thought I was in Keith's office for 15 minutes. I looked down and it was three hours. It's like almost this form of new age pseudoscience hypnosis Mm -hmm. that, that Keith Rainier Rainier got from um, Scientology and NLP studies in the eighties that he like repackaged with his background in multi-level marketing schemes. And he like almost used the best practices from a series of different scams to create his own scam in the late nineties with the help of a woman who I can only describe as having big social studies teacher energy, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I thought she reminds me of my mother. Oh my God. You know, I think part of it too is just so simple is that he did something that a lot of people don't do and they it's listen. So I think it's a lot of people that are just wounded. And you even see some of the the moments where he's talking to some of the congregants or whatever they would be members where he just asked them a question, well where does where do you think that began? Is what was it like for you as a child? And mm. then next thing you know, people are just vomiting all over him with like their, it's like word diarrhea. And the, they're like, well, my mom did molest me when I was eight or whatever. And then he's using that against them. So he's he's like very conniving like that. Oh, another thing he said to me was, I asked, what is the reason, what's the reason that all of this hatred for women began? And he said, well, first off, I have to let you know he hated men too. He enjoyed destroying people's lives. But mm. There's reason to believe he had a very odd relationship with his mother. Um, She used to make him slow dance with her. And then I I said, oh, yeah, in the beginning of the series, when they had that really cool music, there's a boy, like, dancing with his mother. And, like, that that is Keith dancing with his mother. 
And so Frank said oh. there's reason to believe that there was some abuse there. In other words, that she may have been like having him touch her or the reverse. And that's why he's so angry and wants to like violate women. Like he's, and women are users and they use sex to control. It has to have gone back to some abusive relationship with his own mother. It's super fucked up. It's so fucked up. That's a really interesting insight that I didn't think it's like, what, yeah, when people are these monsters, in most cases, I'm like trying to find, like figure out somebody's inner child, like their issues to like empathize with them in some way. But this is so destructive and deliberate. It's like, I didn't even think about him in terms of being a victim. That's interesting to think about. Think of, I, like, next time you see the episode, see, watch the beginning of it. It's like that really cool music. It's before he's blowing out all the candles for the birthday cake. Cause they would have a whole week celebrating his birthday. It's right before that. And then you see the slow dancing. That's mm. Keith with his mom. Interesting. Okay. I need to watch that back. I think maybe I skip over it too much. Um, well, and two, I think that like what I learned kind of researching this is how, well, kind of like we talked about with American murder, like there's no way the mistress didn't, you know, Google the crap out of all of these things. How could she have not known every single detail? Similarly, it's like when you hear that Keith said he was a black belt. He was in the Guinness book of world records for intelligence. I don't know if he was in like Mensa or whatever. He had all these degrees in computer science and, you know, he, he had an impressive background, but then you're kind of like, but then he turns out to have none of it. You're kind of like, why wouldn't people look into that who are devoting their lives and money and bodies and health? But I guess starting in the late nineties, you know, That's early right. mid aughts, that wasn't as intuitive or available. You it, it, Availability of information about hyper-specific people, at least, wasn't really there. It was more, I feel like, encyclopedic at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but I, what I hope people are kind of like paying attention to about this series beyond the extremes, like the branding and the sex trafficking, which are, you know, abhorrent crimes, but like the means to that end I think there's so many charismatic manipulators that walk this earth. And I think that being kind of like a spiritual self-help self -help guru influencer is really popular right now. And oh, I think so true. Oh, God, and I, so true. yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, you can look at like the Rachel Hollis, Tony Robbins, yes. people like this, the Gary V's like this mm -hmm. all the way to like much more extreme, dangerous examples. But I think that the bottom line is like, the people that do these things, if they were that like expert, like big of expert and that self-actualized and what they were doing, they would probably have success in another format. But people who venture into this type of coaching uh, career typically are dealing with some major shortcomings relevant to the very thing they're teaching. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's like, and in the context too, you brought up the, um, how he hates, like, you know, he kind of, under the guise of women's empowerment, he like hated women and was trapping them into a misogynistic system. I think that this is, that's the sort of watch out is like with religion too, or with self-help gurus too, gurus too, is when you're told that um, finding freedom has to do with like immense control. It's and the way that they convince them control is freedom. You're like, what? Wait, what? I mean, people, Ugh, people get sucked into, and I, I couldn't agree with you more about the the, the self help people. I mean, there are even podcasters that have become creepy because they call themselves like self help experts, and I, I'm like, well, they're probably like a wedding photographer who like became an Instagram influencer. You know what I mean? Like, right? Wh wh what is this based on? And people know don't 
necessarily do the research, much like the people that went to a middle school gym in Albany in the middle of the winter and met a man who was approximately 5'4 with elbow pads on and a sweatband who convinced them that they should give up their life and move to Albany and live in a townhouse and then uh, eventually become part of a sex slave thing. You're like, what? Uh, but it <laughs> happens. It's like because some people are just kind of um, wired to to be believers. And then it's like the slow burn brainwashing. It's like a mix of all those things. I don't know. I don't know if I would have been the best. I, I, I don't think I would have been roped into that so easily. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That's what I can't decide. And I every time I watch a cult documentary, the first few minutes, first episode, whatever, wh- when they approach it like here's what you're told at the beginning, similar to the person in the program. I always laugh because I'm like, this sounds great. Like, how do I integrate myself into this disintegration strategy? Like, I would love to overcome limiting beliefs. And I kind of get what it looks like. But I, I am on high alert for people that pay me for like abstract spiritual Per, like personal development topics that I just think that like somebody who is truly altruistic would never ever charge at this level and at with this structure if they had good intentions. There's just no way. There's no way. There's no way. But <laughs> that reminds me of the, I'm going to have to remember the name of this documentary because I watched it right when the quarantine began. And it was the uh, the cult leader that they all had to live in, um, in Texas. They had created this like oasis and it was in the 80s, and the guy's name was Michelle, and then he changed it to something else. But the but he made them all dance ballet. They would all <laughs> dance for hours. Ridiculous. So weird. Is that the Waco guy? No, it was actually, yeah, it was in Texas, but that but the it, it still exists, and now he lives in Hawaii. You know, all these cult leaders go to Hawaii. They love Hawaii. They love a good, like, nice temperature. They like like a a beautiful palm tree oasis scene. They like to wear meatball huggers. That's their kind of thing. But that, that one, I got to find the name of it. I forget it right now, but it was, I was like ballet dancing. That would have been like, okay, guys, I'm out. Like I'm not dancing a ballet. And they I were know. in leotards like for <laughs> hours. And this one woman was like, I had calluses on my toes because I, I didn't know how to dance ballet. I'm like, what? But it's the same thing with a volleyball. Who wants to play volleyball? But Frank, I asked Frank about the volleyball and he said people would wake up at five in the morning and then they would be in sessions until 9 p.m. at night. Then they would be able to go home and sleep for a little bit and then they'd have to go to the gym at 11, 1130 at night to go play volleyball with him and then sit there and listen to him talk and then they could go home and sleep a little bit more and then they'd have to be up at five o'clock for the next day. So it's all these people who are sleep deprived. But the worst part is, he would go home and nap. So he would tell people, you know, if you're really healthy, you don't really need a lot of sleep. Like I don't really sleep much. I, you know, my energy, I don't really need it. But he was lying. He would go back and go to sleep. And the other thing about him is there were women that lived with him at different periods of time. And they, a lot of them uh, developed cancer. And so there's reason to believe he was giving them rat poison over a period <gasps> of time. And that, he would tell them much like in, in Scientology what they could do for treatments. So the ones that did tr- some sort of treatment, they are the ones that live, but there were some that he would say, Oh, you don't need chemotherapy. You don't need any of this stuff. They all died. Oh, it's so sick. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, his, his, uh, 
uh, creepiness start. I mean, in like 1984, he was 24. He started dating a 15 year old, convinced the 15 year old she was some like goddess meant to be with him. And she dropped out of high school to join his since shut down MLM consumers byline. A string of people, that girl included, that have died by suicide connected to Keith and Nancy that they just kind of ignore and overlook. And then the people who had had cancer associated with him too, it's like... Well, Frank uh, yeah. said that there's another documentary that's going to come out and he's working on it right now. They're, they have found other deaths related to him. And he said that in the end, you will find that he is was much more similar to Charles Manson than people realize. Wow. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because the way they kind of get you is like, the exploration of subjectivity and like they almost seem like the anti-religion or anti you know restrictive organization because they like ask like what is consciousness how do we define our own experiences how do we relearn experiences and you listen to him answer questions and he's like well that's your truth it depends how you look at it and 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 i I learn a lot watching these people speak because i'm like there's so much here in terms of like probably politics and pr and stuff too where like Mm -hmm. the the teaching of like this quote unquote, rational inquiry um, that redefines the most basic concepts, basic words of like psychology. Um, it's like nothing that revolutionary, but kind of no. reframes it in a way where like, everything's up to us. We define everything. We choose our own trauma. It's like the antithesis of mental health. But at the same time, that flexibility of, of, uh, of thinking um, kind of gets you into this hole because you are almost driven to a depression because there's a blur like of fantasy and reality like nothing as it seems like I should be better than my mental health issues and it's like it's almost so flexible it seems appealing but there's danger in trying to unlearn these psychological constructs that kind of help keep you sane and I think there's a there's a humiliation factor like I've invested my 10 years of my life so it's easier for me to stay in than it is to leave and admit to people that I was wrong. And that's also really horrible. It's horrible. I also do need to defend volleyball briefly because I did play serious <laughs> volleyball for a large portion of my life. And this, this the things this documentary is doing for volleyball is deeply upsetting. Nobody that's wears so nobody looks like that big of a goober in knee pads. Like I would never, well, it's like, yeah, to your point earlier, it's like, I think I would have stopped at Albany and I think I would have stopped at Guru and knee pads before he even got too far. Um, But then you watch that chilling scene of him in his knee pads and sweatband and ponytail. Like, it's like hypnotizing Allison Mack before our very eyes. That scene was crazy. train wreck? The last episode, all she does is cry. I think she walked into that already a mess and then it just made her worse. And then it's like every scene, she's skinnier and skinnier. And then, but then Frank says, you know, she was really calculating in the way that she got so many women to lose so much weight. Now, I said in my episode, I don't know if everybody caught on this, but he said in my first episode that I did with him that the day that they were caught in Mexico, they had planned to do a vow renewal group fellatio what? ceremony. Yeah. that the, So they were staying at the, the, the villa, villa of a wealthy member who was like an interior designer of Mexico and Nikki Klein had done something on her Instagram where she had made mention of being in Puerto Vallarta. So the feds were like, we got it. So they had men that were part of the military or pretending to be the military 
that went to the villa and they broke down the door and there's Lauren Salzman. And she has been told by Keith for years, she's been begging him to have a baby. And he says, just wait, just wait. And he put it off for years and years and years. And then at some point says, well, so-and-so is pregnant and I want you to be an auntie to the baby. Pretty fucked up. So she's still like hanging on, like maybe I can have a baby. And so they break down the door and he runs into the closet. And she has a moment where she thought, oh, he's going to protect me. Like he's going to stand in front of me because they come, they came in with machine guns and he stayed in the closet. And she realized in that moment, this guy's not going to protect me. So she said, he's hiding in the closet. So they went into the closet and they arrested him, but that they had planned that day to have a group fellatio themed renewal ceremony. Who was renewing the vow? Oh, the women of the DOS renewing their vow to Keith? To Keith. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, when I hear oh, vow yeah. renewal, I'm thinking, don't do it. We know Vicky and Don didn't work <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, my God. So funny. You should have put a mean mouth about that. That is so funny. He also said that Sarah was expected to sleep with Keith. So when Sarah became Lauren's slave, that... Um, Keith had instructed Lauren, you need to make sure that, you know, she's got to understand that once she joins, that she has to do what she's told. And that means putting other relationships, including her marriage on the side, so that she would have to sleep with him and maybe never tell Nippy. And that there were other married women who were slaves, and they slept with him, but they were told to keep it a secret. And he just told me the story about this one woman was in the group and they a slave and they allowed her to marry another member, so another guy in the cult, but said to them, you're not allowed to have sex for two years. So you're ma- they got married, and they were not allowed to have sex for two years. However, Keith was sleeping with her, but she was not allowed to tell her husband. So he gets arrested. They all start to realize this is a whole sham, and she has to look at her spouse, who she has not slept with, and say... By the way, I have had to be, I've been forced to have Keith with for, sex with him for this whole time. Ugh. That's, uh, and that the crazy thing is too, like, this theoretically is not a religion. It's a professional development. Like, it's like the, the root is executive success programs. Like, I understand something that pertains to your faith or salvation, but like, kind of. But even looping, like, that sort of thing where, it's you, it's your spouse, you're committed to your spouse, but also you're more committed to this leader of this organiza- organization that's not your spouse, that isn't a faithful, like a faith leader. It's just so confusing to me how you get this tangled in and then you watch like um, the, what's her name? The, who's the main, the the brunette woman that was like the main whistleblower. Sarah, Sarah. Sarah, yeah, Sarah. Like, it's interesting like even putting yourself in Sarah's shoes being like the whistleblower, but also on the hook for bringing in so many people. And then you think of Allison Mack and like, I was so mad seeing those uh, texts from Lauren Salzman. I was just like, what a monster. Like, how could you do this to your friend? Blah, blah, blah. But, but there, she's also theoretically a victim. And it's like, Mm -hmm. this is confusing about how you hold people accountable for this while also keep in mind that they were being manipulated and just like, it's such a mind fuck the whole thing. But I my other it big question too it is so true. Like how embarrassed is the Dalai Lama? 
first of all, I hate to break everyone's heart, but like, uh, let's think about the Dalai Lama. I mean, do we really believe this guy? I mean, he takes a vow of poverty, but he's got a private jet. He's flying to meet celebrities. He's got a cell phone. Like, I don't even believe the Dalai Lama, you know? Somebody told him that he was born this special person, but he gets to like meet world leaders. He seems to have a very fancy life. So the fact that he's meeting with the Dalai Lama is already embarrassing because the Dalai Lama, I believe, is like, like that whole thing is real weird. But yeah, that's embarrassing because apparently my friend Hillary told me this, that you have to pay a fee to meet the Dalai Lama. And that money is supposedly supposed to go towards some foundation. So Claire just paid upfronted the money. And then somebody mm-hmm. in the PR department for the Dalai Lama, which of course is a laugh, like he's got a PR, like we, you and I don't even have a PR department, but the Dalai Lama <laughs> does. Okay. Um, and, and then they like, they said, oh, did you, there was this Vanity Fair article just that just came out or a Forbes article. I think it was the Forbes article that came out. We might want to hold off on meetings. So they, they first canceled a meeting with them, but then they came back and, and went through with it. I think it's because Claire probably gave them even more money. She had an enormous amount of money. She still has the money. She just was sentenced to jail. The prosecution asked for, I believe, two years, and she got 81 months. So that just shows you that the the, the, the judges are coming down hard. Um, she did not expect to even go to jail uh, immediately. She thought she could go home and gather her things. Uh, she went straight from the, the courtroom to jail. But apparently she has set up with her lawyers for two years to run that island in Fiji and to make payments to things like that, that's that wheels still turn those that train still working. And then she can still communicate through her lawyers to other people. Apparently, that's how Keith is still involved with every decision of the cult, even at, through jail, be, through his attorneys. Is uh, do, so it's do we like know Warren Alex Jeffs, Mac- like, like Warren Jeffs still communicates through his people, through his lawyers, Allison Mack. Frank has said is still a total believer in Keith. If she were not in jail and he were not in jail, they would be together or she'd be following him. She's still fully brainwashed by him. She's not allowed um, to have communication with other members. So she can't talk to Nikki or other people. I asked if Nikki and Allison had ever been romantically involved. And he said they actually hated each other at first. And then they grew a friendship but they are not in a romantic relationship. He convinced Allison to marry Nikki to keep Nikki in the country. So that's another thing. That's like a, an immigration law violation. And they're still legally married, right? I mean, they could be on 90 Day Fiance. Yeah. They're yeah. Still, <laughs> yeah, they're still legally married. They're still legally married. But it, to Allison, she's like, who cares? She thought she would have Keith's baby. They all these women thought they, they would have, but you know what the creepiest part was? He was making all of them get abortions, and the only reason the thirteen-year-old exists that he had with Kristen, who was the former legal counsel, was because she was eight months pregnant when she found out she was pregnant. Oh, good lord! And then he has a three-year-old with another woman, and that one has a real weird name. It's the mixture of his name and her name together. Um, that child, she kept that baby a secret too. Otherwise, there were. He said that there have been dozens and dozens of abortions. Wow! Um, but he, that was another reason that he wanted their body weight to be so low. He told them, "You all need to have <sighs> lower body weight because then um, it's bad. 
if like fat on a woman creates bad energy and I can't have anybody that has bad energy in my space. So by keeping their, their body weight low, that disallowed them to ovulate regularly and therefore they wouldn't get pregnant. Like India Oxenberg had not had a period for over a year when she, when she told her mother because she was, they were all the malnourished. They subsided on what my friend calls the Nexium diet of squash and zucchini. It is so freaking crazy. And and all the while these women legitimately think or feel like they're empowered in some way. It's like, yeah, it's, 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 or I don't know if they do, but like the, you know, the premise of DOS kind of being like subtly, you know, suggested to be empowering or like they, they compared it to like the Freemasons. Like they want to be a secret organization of women that control everything, but no one knows about it. It's like, well, it's, it was like, it, it was, it was, they were already beaten down emotionally because they go through these sequence of courses that tells them that basically breaks them down. So everything they thought to be true in the world is ripped apart. So they're, they're existing on like the lowest level. And then they indoctrinate them by making them believe things like women always have this princess thing where we uh, taunt men by telling them that we need their help all the time, that we can't do things and then when they go to help us, we taunt them with sex and that's power. What do you do to a man? You, you, you don't let them have sex with you and therefore you're controlling, you're conniving and, and, and you are vindictive. Mm. And they're like, oh gosh, maybe you're right. You're, maybe you're right. And then you get the other woman, they're like, girls, we can't be like this. But then they, on the outside, they're getting people to come in by saying, we are going to be the first organization that really supports other women. And it's like everything but the truth. And so I think they were successful because they had the money of the Bronfmans. So they would have flashy videos and um, propaganda that was really very useful, especially in countries like Mexico, where they were taken by the idea of these American actresses and the wealth of the Bronfman sisters. Well, if they have all that money, that there must be something to it. And then the, they paid for those really they were beautifully shot videos where Allison's like crying when Keith's talking that, mm -hmm. you know, people get sucked into pretty visuals like that. The, the Bromfman, the Bromfman's were the Seagram's heiresses. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like having people like, it's funny. Cause I remember when I hear, heard celebrity sex called, I was kind of like, you know, Smallville was okay. Like, yeah, I don't know if I'd call it thing. celebrity. Um, but yeah, when you have people like Seagram's, uh, the Seagram's girls, or, you know, even, um, associating with the Dalai Lama or, you know, having their retreat on Richard Branson's Island, like you, you they kind of know to connect with people in small ways that are seen by like to have this third party validation of being legit and kind of like tell like, Oh, well, why would that person do that with that much money or power if it wasn't serious? But when you really think about the caliber of person, there wasn't that many super no. celebrities in it. It's funny too, like before this documentary, having no knowledge of a parent company like a Seagram's that's involved with so many consumer facing products that I probably wouldn't support. Like I just didn't even, I don't know. I, it, it was educational on so many levels to hear people's involvement, but typically yeah, aligning with people with serious deep pockets like a Scientology um, is pretty essential to the operation. Because without that F you, we're going to sue you money. You can't withstand no, most no, no. And I, controversy. And I asked Frank, you know, when she was sentenced, was there anybody there for her? And he said, no, she doesn't have any friends. The only yeah, reason people sure. were around her was because of her money. That's so sad. 
I wanted to go over some of the Black-owned businesses you guys nominated that I always try to feature at least a couple times a month and in bonus episodes. And this first one is awesome. You know, I love an Etsy hustle turned full-time gig. Pardon my voice. It's two in the morning. I just wanted to make sure we featured some of these. Uh, so Made by Malaya is a jewelry and lifestyle brand founded in 2014 by Malaya McNaughton. Growing up the youngest of five kids in the Bronx, Malaya was, a fa was fashion obsessed at a young age and often reinvented her style. After graduating from the Florida State University, she seized opportunities to work with New York City's leading fashion brands. Uh, it all began with a search for the perfect body chain for an upcoming music festival. After the search turned up empty, Malaya relied on her creativity to design her own. Due to the overwhelming requests from friends and strangers interested in their very own body chain, she took to Etsy and listed the design. Upon realizing she had discovered her true passion, she quit her 9-to-5 as a fashion buyer to pursue her dreams full-time. That's so cool. It stuff is, this is, stuff is so cute. It's a really huge jewelry and lifestyle brand. You have to go to M-A-D-E-B-Y-M-A-L-Y-I-A.com. That's made by Malaya. M-A-L-Y-I-A.com. And check it out. These will also be in the show notes. Uh, the next one is Thank You Tease. Thank You Tease was founded by HBCU graduates Stephanie Campbell and Veronica and Chapman to provide people the opportunity to both learn about and express gratitude for the countless con contributions of black Americans. While all Americans benefit from the ingenuity of black inventors, entrepreneurs, scientists, artists, educators, and community activists, many of their contributions aren't recognized in history books or celebrated as a part of the American tapestry. Our mission is to bring awareness to hidden figures by building an army of thank you tea envoys who want to look good while helping to educate the world about this unsung American history. Damn. That's um, an incredible cause and very well written and very cool. Uh, if They also said hashtag no more hidden figures, hashtag say thank you. So again, that's thank you teas and you can support them by going to thanksardue.com thanksardue.com and it's thank you teas. So lastly, we have a foundation, which is a really important cause. It's called A Second You. And at A Second You Foundation, we know that second chances matter. Our mission is to educate, certify, and secure employment for formerly incarcerated people as certified personal trainers. Through opportunity, empowerment, and community, we seek to eliminate recidivism. It's incredible. I highly suggest you go to their website and read more about it. It's a really important cause and it's a really interesting foundation. It's called A Second You and go to a secondyoufoundation.org. And again, this will be these will all be in the show notes. Again, I'm so sorry. I'm talking so quietly and low, but um, these are incredible businesses doing awesome work and I want you guys to check them out. Thanks. And I just have two questions, uh, uh, re-documentaries that I just want to know if you've watched. Um, my obsession is uh, wine documentaries. If you watch Psalm oh. and if you watch Sour Grapes. I have not watched Sour Grapes. You'll love it. It's it's a, it's a high, uh, it's, it's basically a wine fraud story about making millions, faking these and like high vintage bottles at auctions. And how this guy pulled off this elaborate scheme. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for you. My husband and I have watched it like twelve times. We think it's Ooh, so interesting because okay. okay. I love, I love an elevated scam. Like I love a bougie topic, and it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it, it's just to get to trick people into buying like million dollar bottles of vintage wines. But the guy was so smart, and he's like a chemist, and he would figure out like how to actually manufacture a comparable taste with like by blending other old wines. I mean, and it kind of also unveils the subjectivity of of things kind of in the art world that have these arbitrary prices attached to them, like wine. Okay, well, no, this was so fun. I just wanted to be able to kind well, of like. What's the other one? Oh, oh, Som S O M M. 
No, I haven't watched that. No, but oh can God. I get? Can I give you? Okay, I have one for you. Have you seen Icarus? No. Okay, so this guy is like an actor or something, but he loves to do ride bike like races. And he's always frustrated because he's like, I'm never going to get past this, this echelon. Like, uh, I'm never going to make it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to dope like Lance Armstrong and I'm going to videotape myself and to show you the process of doping to see how much better I do. Well, he befriends in the process of this, the doper to the Russian government, uh, like the, all the athletes. And in the process of befriending him, because the guy like helps him with his doping regimen, he uncovers the entire Russian doping. He's like the major whistleblower. And so you see it all play out in re real time. Like your husband will be like, it, it's like a movie where you're like ripping your hair out. You're like, what is going on here? I thought that was absolutely excellent. It's called Icarus. Um, and then the other one is called The Family That I Had. And that is about a boy that murders his sister. And you meet the mother, and then you meet the grandmother. And then you hear their backstory, and it, it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. And it was these two young women who were going to make a documentary about uh, juvenile prisons and met this family associated with this story and it's just bonkers so that's called a fam the family that i had and then the sports one is called icarus i'm glad you told me about especially icarus because if it's sports related i'm usually not interested but i am interested in the doper to the stars oh this one is like a movie and i got so obsessed with it like i think i watched it on a thursday and then i interviewed him like by Monday I would not I was re relentless oh and the, the same guy the director because it found out he's you was on a job with my friend Jamie Kaler so that's how he helped me I, track him down he is the guy oh by the way Icarus he got an he got an Oscar for it like it was oh. that good it's this the, the the guy that directed that has the the documentary that's just about to come out about um Kasagi, the diplomat that was murdered in Saudi Arabia. Mm. Adnan, Adnan Kasagi. He made the documentary about that. That's just about, it's coming out this winter. And then I'm sure it'll get an Academy Award too. And he was this actor with my friend Jamie, like in comedy movies. And then he did Icarus and he is in it and then directs it. And then it becomes this like worldwide sensation. And then he gets this other job and it's just like inspiring, like, you know, like what I just love to see people who make great work. And this is like one of those documentaries where you are going to be like looking things up the entire time. Like you've got to be kidding me. And then the whole backstory. And it's great because a lot of I'm really into sports. And so I love it. But for somebody who's not into sports, you're going to be equally interested because of the personalities and then the, the, the story on a global scale. It's really good. Icarus. That's, and then the family that I had. I love stories that um, are like unfold as they're filming. It's oh, so yeah. much more interesting than like the rose colored retrospect. Um, and uh, speaking of also the intention of making a juvenile prison documentary, did you watch Paris Hilton's documentary? I did. And I don't believe that, that, that the, the school, the camp that she went to was the real source of trauma. I think there's something that happened earlier in her life that she's not acknowledging maybe because she's not ready to do so yet, but I didn't, I'm like, there's a whole part of this story that's missing. 
and maybe five years from now, she'll tell it. But I walked away going, mm, I don't think that's the whole thing. It's interesting because it, it, it until like the very end, you, I, it didn't click for me. I'm like, oh, wow, she is exhibiting disassociative behavior. Mm-hmm. Oh, then she never matured past the age when her trauma occurred. It's very Britney Spears. Like this happens to people. And then she's operating from her inner child who had everything taken away that in the whole time she just talks about how she has all this stuff she doesn't use and it's hardly organized. And it was almost interesting to psychologically piece a figure together that you almost completely wrote off as being utterly vapid, realize that their, uh, you know, shallow nature is the direct result of deep trauma. But to your point, she was almost so uh, late to the self-actualization game. Like, it's like she just figured out the source of all this trauma, like, you know, in her late thirties. And I feel like I wasn't thinking that there was another thing. I was kind of thinking this barely scratches the surface of how deeply this probably affected her. And it was a little inconclusive in that way. But that's interesting that you gleaned from it that it was almost like a symptom and not the root cause. Oh, for sure. And I I wondered if I posed this question to the person that reviewed it, and I don't remember who that was right now. But I wondered if the, I said, uh, the question was, what do you think you do as a director when you sign up for a project like this? And you know that there's more to the story, but they're only giving you what they can. Because I wondered if there were, they were trying to tell us that there was something more because they kept showing us videos of her childhood. And it was like this grandfather in the background. I'm not suggesting there was a grandfather. I'm just saying I found it odd that they, they kept saying star, star, and her name was Paris, which is already a weird name, but they called her by a different name and they're mm-hmm. like, look at the camera, look at the camera. And you see that kid is young and pure and, and, and playful. And then something happened to her where all of a sudden she has this like robot look to herself, like dead in the eyes. And mm-hmm. it just reminded me so like some of her, be- like her root, like the way her house is decorated. I kept going, this is like my 11 year old's room. And I just kept thinking, maybe this happened when she was around that age because the stuffed animals, the hoarding of animals, the way she dresses. She wants to show this like provocative side to herself, but privately she dresses like my 11-year-old with like sweats on and doesn't seem to really want to like show herself, like very covered up. And her communication style, like the way she has temper tantrums and her sister said, you know, she just like, she loves chaos. And then she said something in the car, she was talking about texting with her mom and said, my mom always treats me like I'm a 13 year old. Mm. And I just wondered if those were subtle things that the director is trying to tell us there's something else here. And it happened at this age, or maybe I'm thinking too ahead of myself. But that's, I kept thinking, this is going to be much more interesting in five years, when she's had some more clarity. That's so interesting. And I mean, I don't I don't think any of us that are uh, adjacent to the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills universe, we are all deeply suspicious of uh, Kathy and Big Kathy. Well, I think it's interesting that this came out. And she's always said, I'm not I don't want to be on that show. And then all of a sudden, she's changed her tune. And now she's going to be a friend of the show. I think she got a tremendous amount of bad press after that documentary came out about how she was a mother. And I do, I think she was a bad mother. I don't know. But, you know, I think that those wilderness camps, to some degree, that's like a lot, that's a Hail Mary pass for a lot of parents. So we don't really know how bad it was. I think it's just dependent on that specific program. I went to the Milton Hershey School and I had a fine experience, but I know people that had a terrible experience. So I think it's, it's hard to really say. 
I think it's just, I think there's going to be a new wave of content, kind of how we were obsessed with Elizabeth Holmes and Anna Delvey and Caroline Calloway and like the, like the friar guy, like in 2018, 2019, like fraud was so hot. And I feel like, I feel like troubled teen stuff yeah. is, we're like scratching the surface and it's, that's going to be like the next wave kind of as illustrated in Paris Hilton's at the very, very end. Um, but yeah, I guess she was that my husband and I were like, she was still so guarded despite allegedly having a breakthrough. So now I'm like, you've got my wheels turning. Fortunately, it's not our job to be experts. It's just our job to give our opinions, however <laughs> yeah, founded true. they are. That's true. <laughs> um, you're the best. This was so much fun. Uh, I could, there's like a million other things I could ask you about, but I will let you go. My last question I usually ask to people that are reality TV aficionados. Do you have one example of like a short lived single season, like underrated show you recommend to everybody? I will tell you mine. It is called The Sisterhood Becoming Nuns on Lifetime. Sure. Um, what's your favorite like one season wonder? Okay, it was a show called My Big Fat Obnoxious Fiance. It aired in 2003. <laughs> it, like a parody. Okay. it was on Fox and it was the greatest television ever. Um, basically, they took a couple and said to them, Your job is to convince your families that you two are going to get married over a week. Like, we're going to spend a week, no, yeah, a week at a resort. Your families are going to fly in and you are going to convince them that you're deeply in love. And if you can do that, you will get this cash prize. What the girl did not know was that the guy was a paid actor. So he's trying to sabotage it all week long. Whoa. Piss your pants funny. It is so funny. And then they get, they have this wedding ceremony at the end and she has to reveal to her family. I've lied to you and we're not really a couple. And then he has to stop her and say, well, actually I'm not really who you think you are that you think I am either. And it was one of the funniest shows I've ever seen ever. That's when TV just like really deliberately messed with people like the Joe millionaire of it all. So it was even my husband who never watches TV shows with me. was like, this is absolutely funny. And we were glued to the television. It was so good. And the guy who was the husband was Steven, the bartender from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> what? so funny and i that's the one guest that i've always wanted and um, by the way only like four people would care about that episode but her name was randy coy and she was the bride and she her family she was like i i hope you guys forgive me and oh it was just so good oh my gosh i've got to go into the archives and find that we yeah, have it's really good we all have so much good follow-up homework from this, from Icarus to my big fat obnoxious fiance. The thing about the nun thing, because my my aunt was a nun and she left the faith because she said she was in a perpetual state of adolescence. Mm. And she went on and she met this man and got pregnant. She said to my mom, he told me I can't get pregnant the first time. Like, oh, okay. So she placed the child for adoption. And then met my uncle later and got married and had two kids. Um, but we, I met her daughter right before, um, where was it? It was like, uh, God, it was how many years ago? But anyway, I ended up meeting her daughter and it was super freaky because her daughter looked so much like her. And it was like this new cousin out of nowhere. And they don't get along at all, my aunt and the daughter, but I'm the only relative she keeps in touch with. So my aunt had told her, your birth father was from Iran and he left. I met him in New York and he left. He said, I have to go back to my family. So I roped my new cousin into going on 23andMe and we got the results back. 
well, she's exactly like what I am, which is basically English and Irish. So the whole story my aunt told her about being Iran was not, the father was not true. Whoa. Yeah. So that's like, okay, another whole can of worms that yours truly just opened. Sorry about that. That was my cockamini plan. Like, let's do 23andMe and see what we come up with. And she's like, great. Now I'm even more super fucked up. I think that th- I'm surprised there aren't no, there isn't more footage of those types of stories where people are finding siblings left and right. Well, we it, also on 23andMe, and my mom found out that she has um, an illegitimate sibling because their child, my first cousin, is on 23andMe, and we have no idea who he is. He lives in Rochester. He looks exactly like my Uncle Jimmy. Whoa. But but the good thing is, I have a good friend, Jonathan Mark. He's this medium. So he did a reading with my mom, and they let let me listen in. And he tapped my grandfather, and then my grandfather unveiled this whole secret life that he had. He had two, uh, two illegitimate children. So now we're on the hunt to find the, the other child because one of them's dead and one is alive and one is a girl and she's alive. Like, should you be filming this? I think so. It's kind of <laughs> right. It's fascinating. Well, it, it, it kind of is an interesting thing where, you know, people are like cancel culture and this and that. And I'm like, I think human beings have been doing extremely cancelable behavior all the time. And like, we haven't even scratched the surface of the the horrible stuff that went down before there was any lines of communication or internet. Like nobody saw it coming that you would be able to track down these illegitimate children or like, you know, it's crazy. And yeah, we'll have to keep doing swaps when we watch things we like or each other recommended. The other thing I'll tell you is most eligible Provo is a hoot. It's on YouTube. It's the Mormon bachelor. No, no, I'm going to watch that. Most eligible, eligible Provo. I'm writing this down right now. This sounds will You will cringe. There's two seasons. It is cringe-tastic and perfect. And (gasps) it was my quarantine activity that I've wanted to deep dive into, but I actually never have. Um, But it's free and it's on YouTube. So we should talk about it. I'm on to that. I can't wait for you to watch Icarus. Awesome. So we'll follow up. Um, all right, guys. So Kate, where can people find you? So my podcast is everywhere where you can find podcasts, Reality Life with Kate Casey. I've got a Facebook group, Reality Life with Kate Casey. If you want to find out shows to watch, I put out a list every week of this is what you should watch this week. I will not include this week Real Housewives of Orange County because I don't think it's very good. Um, I, uh, also am on Twitter at, at Kate Casey, my Instagram is at Kate Casey CA and I've got a Patreon reality life with Kate Casey bonus episodes, including, um, a reading with Jonathan where, where with my mom, where you can hear all the stuff about the abuse and my grandfather and all that craziness. Have you ever let him read you? Oh yeah. Yeah. And actually he's a really good friend of mine. He comes on my show. We do unsolved cases a lot. And he, you don't want to, do you want him to do a reading with you for your show? He'll do it. Like maybe, I don't know. Is that like, I, I don't know how I feel about having that recorded. Well, it's like he can tap into somebody that's passed. So think about that. I I think he would enjoy it. I find it to be very interesting, but um, he's, they're going to do an NBC show about him that's coming out. Um, so I mean, he does podcasts. Yeah. Maybe I'll email you. Cause I did an episode like where I crowdsourced signs and stuff kind of in that spiritual realm of people feeling like they can get in contact with loved ones. And I'm like into that idea. I've never, I've d- been to like kind of crappy, um, what's it called? Tarot card readers, but I've never done no, a proper this is medium. Big time. And d- this is big time. He's big time. I, I'm going to, I'm going to make you guys connect. I think you should Ooh. have him. 
do a reading. Yeah, mm-hmm. you'll like him. He's super cute. Jonathan Mark Medium. Look him up. If you're single. Jonathan Mark Medium. I, I mean, I know really, a lot of single people. <laughs> I would really, really, really like him to meet like a nice, nice girl. I'm like his, almost like his older sister. So I want, oh, I want him to meet somebody nice. Like not somebody who takes selfies and is like filtered photos. Well, wouldn't it be like kind of a drag to be a medium and go to a dinner party? Well, it is. You know why? Because he goes to meet, like he goes to meet the girl's family and then people are tapping in like old relatives. And one time he, he had somebody come through and tell them that their like granddaughter's cheating on him. <laughs> no. That sucks. He's like, oh, okay, great. Thanks. He reminds me of anybody listening, but he's like, (laughs) he's just like, like a blonde, um, you know, just sort of like a, like a cute guy that, you know, from high school. Yeah. He kind of like, if I, if I just saw a photo of him, I'd be like, you are definitely a cool, modern youth pastor with an expensive sneaker collection. Oh my God. Very funny because he does enjoy sneakers, but yes, I totally get what you're saying. He's good can't wait i'm so excited okay cool i'm gonna follow up with you via email awesome Um, all right kate it was so fun to talk to you this will probably come out this week and i'll send it to you awesome okay talk soon soon. thanks what do you guys think should i do the media like try to talk to the medium i don't think he'll read me um live but i think he'll talk to me about it afterward i'm a little nervous let me know what you think um Hope you enjoyed that episode. Isn't Kate awesome? Like, if you love reality show and pop culture, I mean, just get ready to binge watch everything she has. It's uh, it's really fascinating. I don't know how she gets the guests. I don't know how she cranks out these episodes. I don't know how she does them so current. I don't know how she has five kids. I'm literally amazed. And she seems like, she like, I don't know. I talked, I've talked to her about this like at length. She's like, before I even like knew her, where she coached me through a lot of my uh, childless millennial fears. Cause I'm like, how, do, how exactly do you have five kids and have the like, peace and quiet and calm to do a podcast? And she's just like, it's great. We have a great time. Kids are fun. And I'm just like, cool. Thank you. I love people that are positive and I don't need you to be falsely positive, but it helps when people really genuinely seem to enjoy it. You know what I mean? It makes a difference. So I just really enjoy hearing from her on so many levels. But anyway, thank you to Kate. Thank you to you guys. Support our black owned businesses. They'll be in the episode notes. Uh, give me a minute uh, because this next week is a little crazy for me and a few for a few different reasons. So I don't know what the episode will be and when it will come out. It might be another interview. Um, there's a few things I have lined up and things I have pre-recorded that I need to figure out. Just, you know, bear with me in my small production without a network and my, uh, you know, self-edited, self-produced uh, amateur operation. God love you. Thank you for your understanding. Thank you for your patience and waiting for these episodes. Have the best weekend. Tell a friend. Rate and review five stars. Patreon.com slash be there in five for over 100 bonus episodes with much more personal content and all of our old PowerPoint parties with amazing topics uh, where you can rewatch the, the you can watch the playback of when listeners do mini deep dives on their favorite topics, which is like my favorite time of the month. We do it twice a month, and last uh, Tuesdays was no exception. It was uh, so funny. We talked about emo um, wives. We talked about Brad Pitt's hairstyles looking like his girlfriends. We had a really interesting discussion about growing up in a restrictive Christian household. I mean, it was such a good one. So anyway, patreon.com slash be there in five. And if uh, you're a big fan of The Vow and started here, don't forget to listen to the other deep dive where I go more into the psychological aspects and just ramble on about a spooky story. Uh, you know, it's a whole thing. So yeah, check that out if you want to. Rate, review, five stars. Follow me on Instagram. Did I say all the desperation things I forget? Uh, you guys know what to do. You're the best. Thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll come back. And as always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Bye.